What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, New York Times columnist Tom Friedman on what America needs to overcome a pandemic. The meta discussion we have to have is about resilience and propulsion. The devastating impact of coronavirus on small businesses run by entrepreneurs of color. John Hope Bryant joins us. You're talking about most businesses are saying that they can last about three months. For a Black-owned business, you cut that in half. And major retail chains continue to suffer. Manu Chirico is CEO of PVH, overseeing brands such as Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. There will be winners and losers. There will be casualties along the way. And this virus has just totally intensified that. It's Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's start with yesterday's wild ride on Wall Street. First up today on the podcast, a few numbers. The number of confirmed U.S. cases of coronavirus rising above 400,000, and more than 12,000 have died in America. New York remains the epicenter with 140,000-plus confirmed cases and more than 5,400 deaths in the state. New York, New Jersey, Louisiana, and Illinois reported their deadliest day of the outbreak on Monday. In Los Angeles, Mayor Eric Garcetti is making face coverings mandatory for anyone who wants to enter an essential business. Every Angelino will share this responsibility with employers to keep workers and everybody else safe, which is why we are requiring customers to wear face coverings when they enter those businesses that I mentioned. If you're shopping for groceries, if you're picking up your prescription, or visiting any other essential business, you will need to cover your face. And if you're not covering your face by Friday morning, an essential business can refuse you service. And overseas, some hopeful news. Chinese authorities lifted the 11-week lockdown in Wuhan. That allows residents to travel in and out of the city where the pandemic began, so long as they have a mandatory smartphone app that uses data tracking to ensure that they haven't had contact with anyone confirmed to have had the virus. Trains began running today at 5 a.m. local time, and highways were opened at about the same time. This glimmer of back to normal in Wuhan got us thinking about what America after the virus could look like. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin with New York Times columnist Tom Friedman, who joined us this morning via Skype. Republicans and Democrats have so far been able to come together to pass broad relief for American workers. At least they're trying, sidelined, of course, by the coronavirus. Our next guest says, though, it'll be dangerous if we can't get some national bipartisan healing when this crisis is over. Joining us right now is Tom Friedman, New York Times foreign affairs uh, columnist. Uh, his latest column, What America Needs Next, a Biden unity cabinet. He goes on to say, if this isn't the time to leave behind the hyperpartisanship that it's made it nearly impossible for us to do anything big and hard for two decades, then when? Tom, thanks for joining us this morning. Great to be with you, Andrew. Thanks. Idea about getting to the other side and, and what you think is going to happen to politics as a result. Well, you know, right now, Andrew, everyone's uh, sheltering in place, mostly. 
um, and uh, uh, trying to play nice as well as we can to get out of this crisis. But I believe that when the when the fog clears and people come out of this and survey the massive wreckage of our economy, uh, the jobs lost, the businesses that went under, the savings that have been uh, devoured by this, um, there's going to be a really wrenching debate about who got bailed out and who didn't. Um, and that is coming. And uh, to the extent that we could have a, a national unity cabinet, uh, one that has uh, Republicans and Democrats working together, I think it can be able to manage that debate a lot better. I think we have another debate coming, and that's around private, privacy and civil liberties. You know, the only way we get out of this crisis ultimately is with a vaccine. But between now and when we get a vaccine, it could be 18 months, uh, uh, maybe at best, or, or hopefully sooner, but it could be a while. The only thing that fills that gap in is intrusive technology. Just as after 9-11, I wanted to know that the person sitting next to me on an airplane was not carrying a bomb. Uh, I'm gonna wanna know before I take another airplane ride in this country that they're not carrying COVID-19 or I'm not carrying COVID-19. Now that's gonna require a lot of intrusive technology. Just watch what's going on in China now that they've opened up Wuhan and you see the kind of measures they're applying. I, I support those kind of things, but there's gonna be a big civil liberties argument over that as there was after 9-11, only I think this will be much bigger. And, um, uh, and for that reason, I Again, I think we're going to need to approach that with some kind of unity of purpose in governing. How do you think politics changes when it comes to economics, to, to things like minimum wage? I think this has been one of these uh, moments where we've seen the importance of, of people on the frontline workers, not just healthcare workers, but people working in warehouses, people getting items to the American public, people working at the checkout counter. And I just wonder how you think that changes, how you think it changes the conversation around taxes, um, all of it. You know, I, I think the, the meta discussion we have to have, um, Andrew, is about um, resilience and propulsion. Uh, that is, what are the things we now understand we need to be resilient? Um, and what are the things we understand we need to be propulsive? We don't, we don't want to just close in on ourselves and close our economy. We also want to be able to grow the economy. And um, it, for me, it's too early to assess that. So much depends on how long the crisis uh, lasts, obviously, how deep the economic destruction is. Um, you've been talking this morning about um, you know, what role the government should be. And when I think of wanting to come out of this crisis stronger, for instance, uh, two things come to mind. You know, FDR had the Rural Electrification Act. That was central to coming out of the um, Great Depression stronger. I think two things that um, come to my mind, investments that would that would amplify our productivity as a country would be um, uh, rural broadband, bringing broadband to every home in the country. You know, uh, people who live in rural areas don't have the easy online education access we need. We still have a lot of people who don't have a lot of people who don't have rural broadband. I think that would give a boost to productivity. And the other would be a truly national electric grid where we could manage demand and supply uh, and particularly of renewables. I'm for um, uh, natural gas as a bridge fuel. But why stop there? Let's make ourselves truly independent of Saudi Arabia and expand solar and wind production. Solar and wind are now 21% of electricity production today in America. It's an amazing number. It continues to go up and the price continues to go down. I don't want to be dependent on these guys ever again under any circumstances. 
Also wanted to ask you if you wanted to weigh in on a debate we were having earlier today, Jack Dorsey announcing that he's uh, moving a, mil- a, a billion dollars of his stock, a, a third of his wealth, uh, towards uh, trying to, to work on the COVID challenge. We've also seen people like Bill Gates and uh, Jeff Bezos and a number of uh, the wealthiest in the country uh, work on these projects. But at the same time, we've had a big question about whether uh, philanthropy or the free market of philanthropy should be competing, either competing with the government or whether the, the, these donations unto themselves should be tax deductible, whether, we, whether that money should be going to the government, given, given that when we do have a crisis, uh, we still rely on the government ultimately. Where do, you, where do you land on that? Andrew, I've been saying since the beginning that we're in a race here. It's a race between Moore's law and COVID's law. Both are exponentials. I think our great strength as a country is our ability to leverage Moore's law to find the technical solutions here, the therapeutics and the vaccines, um, faster than any country in the world. And to the extent that we can leverage the private sector, the public sector, the philanthropic sector, to getting us to the therapeutics and vaccines to get over this crisis, I'm all for it. And I'm really not interested in that, uh, you know, worrying too much about the other parts of that debate. I think it's one of our strengths and we should be leveraging it. Hey, Tom, while you're, uh, would a Biden cabinet mean Biden has to be president? I didn't really understand that that piece. Is that is that part of the yeah. deal or, or he just... Joe, it's a it's a it's a legitimate question. Personally, I don't have strong feelings about that. You know, um, uh, and I, did, uh, I read. Me, I, I I was trying to read it without thinking. Okay, I see what you're saying, but that I'm. I think it means Biden would be president, and that I don't. I don't that that uh, introduce a whole new angle into right. uh, so, into the the whole equation. Yeah. Anyway, Tom, uh, I was just I just yanking your chain a little, just just because I I <laughs> I, I, thought, I was wondering whether one follows the other. Because you want him to announce it at the convention. So it doesn't mean he actually becomes president. He just puts forward this idea of this big bipartisan cabinet. But my, you mean he becomes president? My priority is having a national unity government that can manage the incredible okay. stresses and strains. And Joe, we haven't even begun to feel the pain and anger that's right. going to come out of this. And let's remember that the last crisis produced the Tea Party and Occupy Wall Street. They will be knitting circles, Joe. They will be knitting circles right. compared to the what's going to explode after this. All right. All right. Thanks, Tom. Just uh, I, I was just just listened to everything very quietly. Was not, uh, you know, so just good. just wanted to, well, uh, to end well, on just just clarify. You get two strokes <laughs> Thanks, off buddy. for that. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, damage at the shopping mall. We'll hear from the CEO of the parent company of Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein. Retail companies are not built to have their stores closed for extended periods of time. And unfortunately, we need to really plan for the worst and hope for the best. Squawk Pod will be right back. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. 
Right now, let's take a look at how hard coronavirus is hitting the retail industry. For that, we welcome Manny Chirico. He is the CEO and chairman of PVH. PVH's brands, of course, include Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, Izod, and many others. And Manny, thanks for joining us this morning. It's good to see you. Good to see you as well, Becky. I know that this has had a huge impact for your company and that your company is taking some pretty extreme measures uh, to try and survive what's happening out there. Part of that is you're foregoing your salary. Uh, The members of your board are foregoing their salaries, but you've also had to furlough about 75 percent of your employees. What's actually happening with with your company right now? Yeah, it's been a it's been a tough time, Becky. Obviously, we've been closed since mid-March. Our stores in North America, Europe. Uh, Australia and South America have been closed uh, by the government edict. Um, And um, it's clearly putting a lot of pressure on our business. We've had to, unfortunately, been put in the position, like most retailers, of having to furlough 75% of our workforce here in North America. Um, And that is, you know, this week has been a real challenging week for us. Uh, uh, Retail companies uh, are not built uh, to have their stores closed for extended periods of time. And unfortunately, we need to really plan for the worst and hope for the best. So, you know, we clearly have a balance sheet that can withstand this uh, for, for an extended period of time. But it's a question of wh- how long that time would be and how cautious we need to be to make sure we come out on the other side healthy, competitively strong, and in a good position to move forward. What, what, what do you need right now, Manny? Are there, is there help from the government that could assist you in any of these things, or you really just need business to get back and uh, the economy? Well, I think open? there's two areas, Becky, and it really focuses on the same thing. It all focuses on liquidity. Retail companies uh, in, and the retail e- ecosystem employ over 50 million people in the United States. That's an, almost 40% of the overall workforce when you, when you take the full supply chain to the, from the beginning to the consumer. And the challenges that we really face is it's an industry that has been highly successful, highly profitable, but is, has clearly has liquidity challenges right now. And the biggest issue we have is, given the seasonality of most retail businesses, inventory is coming in today. Uh, it's sitting in our warehouses. It's sitting in our stores. And there's no place to sell it. We're selling online. Uh, that represents about 15% of our total revenue, but 85% of our business is shut down. And where the government could really help is on the liquidity side. And one area that just seems so obvious to, to me is on the deferral of duties. Uh, I'm not talking about the political issue about does it make sense to have duties and tariffs on certain countries. Uh, we're fine. We owe that money. The, the real issue is inventory comes in today. A week later, we need to pay our duties. Last week, we paid $15 million in duties to the government. Last year, we paid a quarter of a billion dollars, PVH, to the U.S. government on duties. If we had a deferral of those duties uh, for a period of time, 90 days to 120 days, just like income tax, we could have avoided putting as many people on furlough as we have. And it's not that, this is not just a PVH issue. This is an industry-wide issue. And it's an, industry, it's an issue that seems to be easily fixed. The White House has the total authority to do it on, on their own. And for political reasons, it doesn't seem to be happening. And it just seems like a natural that sitting here with our stores closed and having to pay duty ahead of time 
when the government is trying to get money into small retail businesses, into larger retail businesses, just doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Manny, does it um, kind of hit home, though, that retail may be changed forever? There may be companies that have gone into this that may have survived the, uh, the changing retail landscape beforehand that may not because of this additional pressure that's coming from coronavirus. I think that's uh, that's really true, Beck. Yeah, you know, I, I've consistently said that over the next I, prior to this virus, that over the next five to six years, you would retail is going to go through a, a monumental change, and in, in two areas: consolidation at the retail level and in the supply level, brands and uh, retailers. I think you would have seen you you will see more and more consolidation, but also store closures. And I think over time, I was anticipating that. 20 to 25 percent of stores over the next five years would occur. Uh, retail square footage just too much in the United States. But I think today that five to six years is now we're talking about two to three years. And I think it will put there will be winners and losers. There will be uh, casualties along the way. Um, and it's going to put a lot of pressure on this industry. And this virus has just totally in intensified that and has put a real uh, highlight on the stress that's going to be on the on the on the retail community, and particularly on jobs in the United States, and and I think from that point of view, it's going to with 50 million jobs in the United States from the retail industry. I, I think it's a real concern as we move forward. Hey, Manny, we we were talking about how your company is kind of going through this coronavirus, but we we should point out that you yourself are recovering from actually getting COVID nineteen. How how are you feeling? I feel, uh, thanks for asking, Beth, Becky. I feel terrific. Uh, I'm very fortunate. Um, I had I had some I had mild symptoms, um, and I was fortunate enough to get through it without any real um, damage. My wife also, uh, we believe, had it. She was she wasn't tested, but she had symptoms. And my parents, both 90 years old, live with us uh, in a separate apartment, and we've mm -hmm. had to isolate ourselves from them. But thank God, everybody's doing well. You are also on the board of a hospital, right? Is it Montefiore? I'm on the board of uh, Montefiore Medical S uh, System, and uh, yeah, I've, uh, we've helped. We've really worked very closely with them and tried to help them bring in about six million surgical masks. And you know, when you talk about heroes during this uh, pandemic crisis, uh, those doctors and nurses and healthcare workers across the board in a facility like Montefiore that services. Lower Westchester, but also services the Bronx, which is in New York City, seems to be ground zero and is really having a major impact on a community that economically is, is stressed. Uh, the doctors there, led by Dr. Phil Azow, the CEO of Montefiore, has just done an amazing job. And when you see the sacrifices that they're making, you know, to me, they're the heroes of this crisis. Manny, I want to thank you for your time uh, and sorry for everything you all are dealing with right now. We hope you'll come back for an update with us, too. Absolutely, Becky. Uh, PVH will definitely get through this. Uh, our people, our brands and our balance sheet are, are a strength for us. And we're clearly in a strong position to get through it. So thank you for the time. Manny Tirico, thank you very much. Next on Squawk Pod, weathering coronavirus in the African-American community. Entrepreneur and advocate John Hope Bryant joins us. We just might have a rainbow after this storm. I think that there's certain things that we won't have to argue about anymore. Back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. We're back. You're listening to Squawk Pod. As the COVID-19 pandemic wages on around the world, the United States is seeing the new crisis highlight an existing one, American disparity along racial lines. Not all jurisdictions record coronavirus cases by race, but in those that do, we can see that COVID-19 is affecting the Black population at a disproportionately high rate. The Washington Post compiled data currently available and discovered that majority Black counties have three times the average rate of infection and nearly six times the rate of coronavirus deaths. In Louisiana, 32% of the state's population is African-American, yet 70% of the people who have died there have been Black. In Chicago, similarly grim statistics. The African-American community is more likely to have some of the health conditions that contribute to coronavirus complications, including heart disease, diabetes, asthma, part of what United States Surgeon General Jerome Adams called the legacy of growing up poor and black in America when referring to his own experience. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and largely America's medical face of crisis response, addressed the disparity on Tuesday. Unfortunately, when you look at the predisposing conditions that lead to a bad outcome with coronavirus, the things that get people into ICUs that require intubation and often lead to death, they are just those very comorbidities that are unfortunately disproportionately prevalent in the African-American population. On the small business front, the health issues in the Black community could affect their ability to keep businesses afloat during and after the pandemic. So far, the Small Business Administration has assigned $82 billion in loans across the board. But information about individual disbursements likely won't be available for some time. Good news, though, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin announced that he plans to work with congressional leadership on an additional $250 billion for the Small Business Relief Program. While business owners wait for their help to arrive, an organization called Operation Hope is working with U.S. Bank, UPS, and Fifth Third Bank to provide financial coaching for people in moderate and low-income communities affected by the coronavirus. Here's Andrew with the CEO of that organization. I want to bring in John Hope Bryant, friend of the show uh, from Operation Hope. He's the founder, chairman and CEO. John, thank you for joining us this morning. I hope you're staying safe and healthy out there. Um, Tell us uh, this. This is your world. This is your world. So tell us what's happening, what you're hearing on the ground. This is a reset. And uh, it's unfortunately showing how fragile uh, our economy is. A lot of the things we've been talking about forever on this show are now uh, coming to fruition. Uh, in, in many ways, our work has been mainstream because 80% of Americans 
are going to need the financial coaching uh, that Operation Hope provides on minority small businesses. Unfortunately, the joke has always been the uh, bad, the sad joke. When mainstream America has a headache, black and brown folks have pneumonia, but we're all sick. And now, unfortunately, this with COVID is not a joke at all. You're talking about most businesses are looking are saying that they can last about three months. For a Black-owned business, you cut that in half. Uh, some good news, uh, about 64% of all these loans that have come from SBA have gone uh, to businesses with 150, for $150,000 loan amount or less. So that's telling me that, that, that a lot of small businesses are getting uh, this capital. But the mass confusion, uh, which unfortunately is probably um, uh, uh, predictable, uh, is really causing a lot of people to not get capital. That was, I think, pre uh, preventable. And we can still lessen the pain of that because there's no coordination on the ground with community groups, the Operation Hopes, the Urban Leagues, the Church of God in Christ, the network, the distribution network in these communities could have gotten that word out quickly and helped to coach these communities, these small businesses up to meet the SBA in the market where it is. But, you know, it's an imperfect world. Uh, one of the things I also wanted to ask you about is the devastation that this, uh, this health crisis may have on the African-American community and disproportionately yes. so, and how, how, the, how that may relate uh, to um, uh, the socioeconomic issues um, that, uh, that the African-American community has, has, has been challenged by for so long. And just to get your thoughts, you've talked so much on our, our broadcast about inequality and the implications of that, but how you think this changes policy as a result? Yeah, I think that we just might have a rainbow after this storm. I think that there's certain things that we won't have to argue about uh, anymore. Uh, was wealth inequality bad? Was income inequality bad? Did anybody do anything about it? It was bad and no one did anything about it. Uh, was political division horrible? Was racial divisions growing? Did anybody do anything about it? No. The environmental issues, the issues of my communities really not being sort of given the respect they deserve in the economy, because who's working out here right now? Uh, it's, uh, you know, the hourly worker who looked like me pushing those boxes delivering those boxes, preparing that food, doing all that, that support work that is really, they're really second or third uh, level responders that's keeping all of us comfortable in our homes. And they maybe got the credit that they deserve. On the other side of this, we won't have to argue about whether healthcare is important. Uh, and it won't be socialism, Joe, it'll be us-ism. <laughs> we need it-ism. Uh, we want to argue about where we're, where we're all in this thing together. We, we now understand how fragile this economy is. We now understand that 40% of America uh, works an hourly job. Uh, we now understand that half of America works for a small business, and 20% of those small businesses have 20 employees or less. Uh, and, and they can't survive 45 days without a customer or some support. There is no, there is no Harvard for small business, but we're, all, we're completely dependent, as we're seeing, on small business for us to survive and thrive. So. Uh, yes, on the other side of this, in fact, the, you know, the administration has already reached out to me about one of my big ideas. I call it a new Marshall Plan, uh, some of which we talked about in the sh show. Internships for all, apprenticeships for all, as much education as you can shove down your throat, uh, uh, expanding and broadening uh, for the free enterprise system, the lift all boats. In many ways, a recap of the Freedmen's Bank, uh, the bank that was chartered to teach free slaves about money that under Lincoln that unfortunately failed when Lincoln was assassinated. We need to reset all of this, not out of some giveaway program. That's not what I'm talking about. This is a hand up for America because we're all interconnected. Whether Joe likes or not, he's my honorary brother. <laughs> we're all tied.
John Hope Bryant, we always uh, appreciate uh, speaking with you and getting your perspective on things and uh, an uplifting message today. So uh, I hope uh, I hope we can uh, hope we can be uplifted uh, during this uh, challenging time. That's Squawk Pod for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Bill Gates, the Microsoft co-founder and co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, predicted a few years ago that, well, a worldwide epidemic was something we just weren't prepared for. You don't want to miss this conversation. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating or a review. That helps other listeners find us. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.